Hello to all you boys next door, mums and dads, new weds and nearly deads. Welcome to Dangerous Amusements, a podcast where we talk about the music of Elvis Costello. I'm Stu Arrowsmith, and in each episode I'll be joined by a special guest to chat all things Elvis, and I'll be asking them to help me compile the ultimate Elvis Costello playlist. And remember, don't make any sudden movements, because these are Dangerous Amusements. My guest on this first episode of the podcast is a best-selling author. He's also an actor, a comedian, and a musician. But far more impressively than any of that, he's a man who won Celebrity Mastermind with a specialist subject of Elvis Costello. Welcome to Dangerous Amusements, Mark Billingham. Hello, Stu. How are you? I'm really well, Mark. How are you? Are you doing well? Very good, and very much looking forward to just talking Elvis for a while. <laughs> Good. And I think only fitting that we kick off with a, a genuine Elvis mastermind and we will uh, we'll set the bar high for everyone who follows. I was wondering about that, actually, what your strategy was for mastermind. Did you revise for it or did you kind of back yourself to have accumulated all the knowledge through the years of being I was, a fan? No, I wasn't quite confident enough to do that. So I did... You know, I did do some revision and then and then was, I have to say, slightly annoyed at how easy the questions were. I, <laughs> I was sort of going, come on, I know much more d- difficult stuff than this. Um, and I I, uh, I sort of breezed through it and I got them all right. And then the last question, the, the buzzer went, you know, that thing when he goes beep, beep, beep. And my mind just flew away. My mind just flew away and it was such a simple question. It was, you know, what was the name of the backing band on the delivery man? And I just went, oh, and just nothing. Just nothing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I got the final question wrong. I said the Confederates or something because I could just couldn't summon the imposters into my head. Um, but no, it was it was a thrill. It was a thrill. And uh, when when Elvis signed my copy of uh, the autobiography, he wrote, "I've started, so I'll finish," which was <laughs> which was very funny. When did it all start for you? When did your love of Elvis's music begin? Can you remember hearing him for the first time? Yes, I absolutely can. It was Anne Nightingale, uh, either on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon. I can't remember whether it was some, uh, when her show was. Um, and she played, I think, Red Shoes. And I just sort of went, oh, my God. Um, and I went out and got My Aim is True. Um, I mean, the, the, the awful thing is it took me a few years before I got a chance to see him live. Right. Um, I really regret that. I had a chance as well. You know, the, the Stiff Stewart came to Birmingham Town Hall. And I think the problem was I didn't have anybody to go with. I didn't know any other Elvis fans. Yeah. Um, and so it took me until about, until the end of 1980. Uh, that was the first, ch- first time I saw him live, by which time I'd got, you know, three or four albums. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, and it, just from the first moment I, I heard him. And, and the weird thing was, I know... A lot of people, a lot of people mock. Kind of, if you tell people you're an Elvis Costello fan, a lot of people go, Ugh. they do that. They do that stupid mm. Elvis voice. But right from the beginning, I loved his voice. I absolutely loved his voice. I mean, apart from you know how brilliant the songs were, especially lyrically, which oh, which was the first thing I keyed into was just how amazing the lyrics were. I always loved his voice from from the first time I flipped Oliver's Army over and played My Funny Valentine you know, the B-side of Oliver's Army, you just thought, my God, the guy's a crooner. You know, he's got an amazing, amazing voice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I agree. I agree. And I was going to ask you that, actually. Were you, as someone who'd go on to be a best-selling author, were you drawn more to the literate songwriters? Yeah, absolutely. Especially especially anything that told a story. You know, anything. And and 
And I think Elvis always has been a storyteller, though not he never makes it easy for you. You know, he's always he'll always come at a story from a slightly odd angle. Mm. So you knew there was something going on in Red Shoes, and there's something going on in Less Than Zero, and you just and you tr- desperately trying to work out what it is. No, absolutely. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love you know, hey, Bamalama Bamaloo is just one yeah. of the greatest lyrics ever written. But um, uh, no, I always I always key into the lyrics definitely. Yeah. So where did Elvis fit into what else you were listening to at that time? Who were, who were your other key artists back then? Well, he didn't really. I mean, I you know I was one of those I was one of those sort of tragic prog fans. I think up until up until that point, people talk about when you know seventy six seventy seven music just got turned on its head and you burned all your prog albums, and it really wasn't like that. You know, and there definitely was a period when you listened to both. Um, and we had we had a record player in the sixth form block at my school, and every lunchtime there'd be a sort of fight to get to the record player to get your record on. You know, you'd bring them into school, um, and so people were playing also. I was I was mad about a band called Little Feet around the same time. I was a huge Little Feet fan, um, but then but then once I got into Elvis, then I started listening to Ian Jury and the Jam and all sorts of stuff. So it then it then started to to you know. The prog got left behind, but it wasn't like I, I destroyed all those albums. I've still got them. Yeah, you know? yeah. The first few albums came out before I was born, so I've had to go through this retrospectively. But to have gone through that in real time, to have got my aim is true, and then think, how does he follow that? Well, he does it with this yeah. year's model. How does he follow that? Armed forces. To do that in real time must have been so exciting. It was. Um, I mean, this year's model still remains my my favorite Elvis. Album because I, I I don't think there's an album that what is it forty years old now it's more than forty years old yeah just sounds extraordinary just extraordinary just sort of visceral and powerful and still an an incredible incredible album and that but that run of albums that run its first like eight albums are just extraordinary I mean I I you know I defy anybody to come up with an artist who's had a run of albums all so different that's mm. the point also you know he didn't follow up anything with with an album that was that was slightly similar you know he was changing things all the time and I think that's one of the reasons that he's he's been around as long as he has he's that he's I don't think that he that he gets bored I don't think he did that he just you know there's always new challenges new horizons different stuff and and from really early on you could see that he was influenced by a bunch of stuff you know, the fact that you've got things like Stranger in the House really early, you know. But I don't know why people were so surprised when the country album came, because it was there all the time. You know, the jazz album, people went, jazz, did you not listen to My Funny Valentine? You Absolutely. know what I mean? yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, while we're talking about this year's model, that's a good moment to introduce our Dangerous Amusements playlist, which people can find on Spotify. And we are looking to compile the ultimate Elvis Costello playlist. I've asked each of my guests to pick five Elvis songs for the playlist. One from the 1970s, one from the 80s, one from the 90s, one from the noughties, and one from 2010 onwards. The very first track on the playlist, Mark, is your choice of a 70s Elvis song, and it comes from this year's model. Yeah, it was always going to come from this year's model. I mean, I love all the all the three albums from the seventies, first three albums. But this year's model, like I said, just still blows me away. And and the track the track that I've chosen is one that I've seen him. He, when they play this live, it's just extraordinary. It's Lipstick Vogue. Just another mouth of lipstick 
God, they tear it up. I mean, they were, they were just such an extraordinary band. Um, you know, almost certainly at the time, the best live band on the planet. I mean, they, they were just amazing. And that, that, that leap from Miami's True to, you know, Miami's True is a great album, but once he got that band behind him, it, it was just, it just everything moved on to another level. And I always loved the fact that whenever I saw them live, Elvis and the Attractions, there'd always be a mic in front of Bruce Thomas, yeah. a vocal mic in Bruce, just for the moment in Lipstick Vogue when he goes, hey, that's, yeah. that's, yeah, that's yeah. the only time he ever used it. <laughs> well, I pulled out an old review from the Melody Maker from March 78, from around the time that uh, this year's model came out, and they described a live gig as one relentless rush at the gates of hell with venom pumped straight off the stage and into the bloodstream. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really... And I remember reading reading reviews of, of, of early Elvis concerts, and some of the reviews were a bit mean. I mean, one of the things they used to talk about was actually the, the shortness of the sets. They used to talk about how he'd play for like 35 minutes and then go, and, you know... I didn't see any of those early gigs, so I don't know whether that's true or not. But certainly, whenever whenever I've seen him, certainly in the last few years, you've got to the point where you think it's the end of the gig, and he goes, see you after the interval, and you go, yeah. <laughs> you know, who are you, Bruce Springsteen? We're yeah. doing Elvis. Um, but yeah, I, I think in those days, it, it, everything was about kind of anger and brevity and, uh, you know, vitriol, but... You know, they, they, I still wish I'd seen one of those gigs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that came out March 78 and reached number four in the UK album charts and the first album credited to Elvis and the Attractions. And it does make you think how the fates conspire to create those four people to interpret those songs. Yeah, I mean, it's whenever I've heard Elvis talk about, you know, how, how the band w was put together, you know, there's such a lot of kind of just great synchronicity at work. You know, the, the fact that Steve Naive walks in and I think doesn't he drink a bottle of sherry and just <laughs> sort of fall asleep in the corner you know this this kid essentially from from what was it Royal School of Music or wherever yeah um you know and obviously Bruce Thomas was a very experienced musician and so was Pete Thomas now I think they kind of knew Pete Thomas a bit vaguely but you'd never have put those three people together um you know what had Bruce Thomas been in he'd been in Quiver hadn't he yeah that's so right. I mean again you'd, you'd never have sort of thought he would be somebody to, but you know, I'd love to have heard some of those early... Uh, in fact, I, I've yet to confirm whether this is true, but I, I read somewhere that the attractions re-recorded My Aim is True. I've yet to hear that or find that on any kind of... And I think I asked Pete Thomas about it when I saw him backstage at some gig and he had no memory of it at all. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I, you know, I think there was, a lot of, there was a lot of drinking going on yeah. back then. But wouldn't that be amazing to hear My Aim is True played by Elvis and the Attractions? Absolutely. And... The drums that start Lipstick Vogue as well, that kind of oh. Buddy Rich, manic drumming from Pete Thomas. And then the bass yeah. playing from Bruce Thomas is fantastic. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, whatever whatever we think about Bruce Thomas, and obviously, you know, uh, he and Elvis have had their issues. What Just what an incredible bass player. I mean, they're all just incredible, incredible musicians, you know? I know you've been cursing me now since I asked you to just pick a single track from Elvis's 80s output in particular. So before, oh. <laughs> before we get oh. on to what that track was, does that mean that the 80s is your peak Elvis Costello phase? Oh, absolutely. Peak. That's my peak Elvis. No, definitely. I mean, I, 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 I just bought everything. I saw him every single chance I could get. And just those nine albums in the 80s. I mean, I think he re released something like, well, three in the 70s, four in the 90s, sort of proper studio albums, but nine albums in the 80s. And no two the same. No two the same. And aside, aside from this year's model, all my other top six or seven albums 
uh, of Elvis would be from the 80s. So, I mean, as soon as you asked me that question, I went, oh, well, obviously it's going to be something from King of America. No, it's going to be something from Get Happy. No, it's going to be something from Blood and Chocolate. And then I just, I just <laughs> the others were relatively easy, but trying to pick one track from the 80s, absolute nightmare. Well, before we get on to the track, um, you mentioned that you'd started going to watch him live in the 80s. So, and I know you managed to join him on stage for one of those gigs as well. Yeah, and you know what? It's it's actually on YouTube. It's great. I, it, oh, my God. what was It was a weird thing. Myself and a couple of pals went to see... Because um, they were doing they were doing weird, sort of weird shows back then. So it's just after King of America, Blood and Chocolate, 86. And they're all... T- each night is a completely different show. Um, and obviously you've got the, that was the first outing of the, the spinning songbook. And I was, we was at the Royal Court Theatre Liverpool and the three of us, we were upstairs. We were in the balcony, right? And we're watching this show and I'm just so envious that people are being pulled out from the front and spinning the wheel. And at the end of one particular track, I can't remember what they played, I was on my feet and I'm clapping. And suddenly I saw a security guy kind of beckoning me. And I thought, oh my God, what have I done? I just thought, <laughs> I've done, I thought I was going to get thrown out. And he beckoned me and, and we stopped walking down some stairs and through. And suddenly I'm in the wings. And Elvis goes, come on. And I I just, I mean, you can see it. If you see this YouTube clip yeah, of yeah. me looking about, looking about 12 years old <laughs> and for some reason wearing a flat cap and a donkey jacket. And I was just in a bit of a daze. You know, I get asked what my name is and I just go, Mark. And my voice went up <laughs> like about three octaves. And I spanned the wheel and then I went and danced in the cage. Oh, did you go in? Because you, you can't quite tell from the video whether you end up in no, the cage I, or not. I went in that cage. I went in a cage and I danced. And then, and that was the end of the gig. It was right. actually the end of the gig. And the band went off and I wandered off into the wings. And I remember somebody put a can of Red Stripe in my hand. One of the kind of crew put a can. And I just wandered out in this daze. Thankfully, my mates who were still up in the balcony, not having a clue what was going on, took pictures. And and yeah, it surfaced on YouTube a few years ago. But oh, that was a golden, a golden moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I could, again, I couldn't tell from the video what song you got. Can you remember what, what you landed I on? I think, I, well, whatever whatever song I was, I got, Elvis changed it. <laughs> okay. Okay. He, which he was wont to do. Um, I think, I don't know what I got, but I think he changed it to Less Than Zero. Right. He played Less Than Zero. Right. And there were a couple more tracks and then that was the end of the, that was the end of the night. But it was, it was just amazing. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a bit, but you cut to however many decades later and I'm on that same Same venue. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The spinning wheel's a great concept for the live show. And I I went when he, that was before kind of my time. So I got it the second time around in what, 2011, 2012. And you think, oh, I'd love to go up and spin the wheel. But then you spy the go-go cage out of the corner of your eye and think, I I don't want to end up in there. (laughs) The go-go bonus cage. Well, the weird thing was, I seem to remember that I was offered a choice I could either go and dance in the go-go bonus cage or sit at the bar. You know, they had this little cocktail bar on stage. Who, God knows why I chose to dance oh. in the go-go bonus cage. <laughs> Never been much of a dancer. Yeah. But I, I was just, I mean, I, the adrenaline, you know, I was so thrilled at the time. I'd yeah. have done anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's get to your um, your 80s song choice for the playlist then. And perhaps we should give a warning now to, to listeners. Uh, Mark's choice does contain country and Western music. Um, yeah, yeah. As, of course, it said on the front of the album. Well, like I said, I could have picked so many tracks. I mean, I could have picked New Lace Sleeves or I could have picked Brilliant Mistake or almost anything off Get Happy. But I went with the opening track off Almost Blue because... This album really did change my life in that it, it turned me on to country music. I mean, up till that point, country music was, I think I'd heard Boy Boy Named Sue by Johnny mm. Cash or, you know, I didn't, you know, some Dolly Parton. I didn't know who Hank Williams was, who Graham Parsons was, who George Jones was. And this album just really turned me on to it. And an awful lot of people my age who I've met since, this was the album that did it. So 
opening track off uh, Almost Blue, Why Don't You Love Me Like You Used To Do. Brilliant. Released October 1981, Elvis and the Attractions head off to Nashville and work with Billy Sherrill, a producer who's previously been with Tammy Wynette and George Jones. And obviously there's that brilliant South Bank show special on the recording of that album as well, which is, it's such a great period piece of, of, of that period of time, but so fascinating to see the dynamic between the group and Billy Sherrill, but also within, oh, yeah. within the group themselves. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was an incredibly bold move to do it um and i think i've read that 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 elvis was kind of getting a bit fed up fed up with his own you know the way he used to write i mean you know he he knew he had this incredible facility with words and these tricks and ticks and puns and all sorts of stuff and he just wanted to sing songs that were a little bit simpler and do something different and he clearly always loved country music knew knew uh, all these songwriters and all these great country artists but to go over there and work with billy sherrill you know this legend uh and it's hilarious the stuff on that sound i mean when they're actually recording why don't you love me like you used to do? Billy Sherrill is making all these comments about Hank Williams spinning in his grave That's and all right. this sort of stuff. And then, of course, he pulls out a gun. He <laughs> pulls out a gun at one point, which is, you know, a far cry from, uh, you know, Nick Lowe producing him. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I just think it was an amazing thing that he did, you know, to do that on the back of, so what, what's the album before that? Trust. Um, and then and then to come back after this and record Imperial Bedroom. I mean, those three albums back to back, could they be more different, you know? And it was a success as well. Number seven in the UK charts. He has a big hit single off it with Good Year for the Roses, yeah. which is number six in the UK. So this wasn't a niche thing. This this kind of went mainstream. And as you say, it turns a lot of people onto country music as well. It absolutely did. I mean, I, I, I worked a few years ago with a band called My Darling Clementine, who are an Americana band. Um, and they are Elvis fanatics and have just recorded a whole bunch of Elvis songs with, with Steve Naive. And that album did exactly that for them at exactly the same time. I mean, you know, you, I bought the album because I was an Elvis fan. Hmm. I didn't buy the album because I was thinking, oh, country music, what's this? I was an Elvis fan. But from the moment those songs start, and again, it showcases what a fantastic voice he's got. You know, Sweet Dreams and hmm. I'm Your Toy. And, I'm Your Toy is the best song oh, on the album for me. I love that. Isn't it? And, that, and there you go. Straight, It turned me straight on to Grand Parsons. Yeah. You just go, oh, my God, i got to check these people out. Um it was amazing. And that's a show I wish I'd seen. Yeah. You know, when he did the show with the, was it the Royal Philharmonic? Yes. And he's all, all dressed with the, up with his with the bibbons and everything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd love to have seen that show. Well, he said about the album as well, he, he recorded it because he couldn't write what he was feeling himself, but he could find those sentiments in other people's songs, like the Hank Williams yeah. number that you've picked and the others. Yeah, yeah. And he, and he treated them very differently. I mean, I mean, that is, it's a very radical reworking of that song. You know, if you know the original song, um, but boy, the band could play it. The but you know, and that, th there's moments during that documentary where you can see that the that you know, Pete and and uh, Bruce are maybe going, "What are we doing here?" You know, this is uh, this is not what we're used to. But it, it was just an I, I think an incredible thing he did. Incredible thing he did to make an album during the eighties. I think were you um, a fan of the Smiths as well? Around yeah, that time, massive. yeah. And didn't massive. you didn't you write a short story about Elvis and Morrissey together at one point? I did, I did. Which I was asked by a newspaper. It was either the Times or the Independent. It was uh, when Thatcher died, 
they asked a whole bunch of writers to to write some sort of short story just reflecting that. So I wrote a story about Elvis and Morrissey meeting at uh, at an airport in an airport departure lounge, desperate to get out of the country because they're both being hounded by the press, yeah. having ridden Tramp the Dirt down and Margaret on the guillotine. So it's just a slightly awkward encounter between these two characters, who I never name. They're just called the hat and the quiff. Um, and they just have this slightly awkward encounter, as I imagine they would have had if I'm sure they did meet. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure their uh, worldviews have much overlap, I wouldn't have thought. Certainly not now. No. Certainly not now. Morrissey, Morrissey seems to have lost the plot completely. Um, but yeah, no, I was a huge Smiths fan. It, you know, listening to John Peel one night, hearing this charming man and going, oh, got to rush out and buy that, you know. Yeah. And of course, Morrissey, the subject of one of my favourite Elvis quotes as well, when he said, Morrissey writes the most wonderful song titles, but sadly forgets <laughs> to write the song. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. No, that's absolutely true. <laughs> This is Dangerous Amusements, the podcast that's more like a hand job than a hand jive. So apart from the ones where you joined him on stage, any other gigs in that period that particularly stick out for you during the 80s? I remember I remember seeing him at, at uh, a Birmingham Odeon on the Punch the Clock tour with the horns, oh, you know, with the TKO horns and with Aphrodisiac. Oddly supported by Prefab Sprout. Right, okay. Uh, who I'd never heard of, and I just remember thinking, that's the most ridiculous name for a band <laughs> I've ever heard. Um, and kind of ignored them because they were the support act, as, as you did. Um, uh, and I since, you know, went on to become a massive fan of, of Prefab Sprout and Paddy McAloon. Um, but I think the best the best gig from that period I saw was, was Elvis with the Pogues and the Men They Couldn't Hang at Hammersmith Palais, mm. which was an incredible night. You know, just three awesome bands, and it just got better and better and better. Yeah. Um, yeah. So would that have been around the time he was producing them? Um, I guess it. I, I guess, guess it so. must have been. Yeah. Um, but that, but that was pretty fabulous. I mean, every time, and I remember which which gig would it have been. But I remember him playing "Peace in Our Time" for almost, I'm sure, what would have been the first time on stage. Mm. Him certainly introducing it as a brand new song he'd just written. Mm. Um, and those moments are always amazing. You remember those thinking, oh, I'm hearing a new Elvis song. You know? Yeah. Well, a few years ago, it felt like that was going to be the only way we were going to hear new Elvis songs, didn't it? Maybe after National yeah. Ransom when he was hinting, oh, I'm done with making records now. And if you want to hear it, you'll have to come to the gigs and I'll play it there for you. But, you know, thankfully for all of us, we've had a few more records since then and another another well, one on the way. I remember thinking that a couple of times, Stu. I remember thinking there wasn't going to be, I don't know what made me think this, maybe the title, but I remember thinking Goodbye Cruel World was going to be the last album. Oh, as far back as and that, it, right? And it, yeah, as far back as that. And there was certainly a couple of years between Goodbye Cruel World and what would have been next? Spike? Uh, 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 no, uh, no, King of America and Blood King of America, and Chocolate. Yeah, King of America, Blood and Chocolate. Um, and I, yeah, there, there seemed to be nothing for a while. And then a big gap be- before Brutal Youth, uh, when you remember thinking, where's, where's the, what's happening? And I always remember very naively thinking, oh, it's because he's happy. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's very domestically contented and he's got other stuff to do. Um, but yeah, thankfully, there's, he's always come back with something amazing, you know. Yeah. Just to go back to Goodbye Cruel World, obviously it's a, got a funny reputation within Elvis's output. What are your thoughts on that record? I, I loved it. I loved it when I came out. I mean, listening to it again, because when all the reissues came out, I don't know, 15 years ago, I remember reading the, the sleeve notes to that, where, where the first line is, congratulations, you've just bought our worst album. Um, and you see some of the videos around then. There's that very cheesy video with Daryl Hall mm. for Only Flame in Town. But at the, at the time, I really loved it. I think, it, and, and as he says in those liner notes, they're great songs. Mm. 
you know, maybe the, the production didn't, wasn't all it could have been. Um, but, you know, some of the songs on that album, Inch by Inch and Worthless Thing, and it's an album I really love. It's not an album I listen to very mm. often, if I'm honest. Um, but I find when you, when you love an artist as much as I love Elvis, and obviously you love Elvis, it's very hard to be subjective, isn't it? It's very hard to go, no, that's not so good, Elvis. You're always so, um, you know, happy to have some new songs to listen to. Yeah. And the same is true whenever I've seen him in concert. I think I've only once come out of a gig, an Elvis gig, and, and gone, I didn't enjoy that. Only once. And that was Hammersmith Odeon, Mighty Like a Rose. It was the, oh, really? you know, the, the beard. The beard years. Yeah. The beard years. When it just felt like it was Elvis and a bunch of session musicians. Mm -hmm. And he was doing that sort of Dylan-y Dylan thing of, I mean, it took me about five minutes to realise he was playing Other Side of Summer. Yeah. But he was doing it as a waltz. Yeah. Um, and that's the only time. That's the only time I've ever felt slightly let down at a gig. But every other time I've been just blown away, you know. Yeah, yeah. Back to our playlist, Song okay. 3 from the 1990s and from an album that I absolutely love. You've gone for a track from Brutal Youth. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was always going to be Brutal Youth because, again, I think, as I said, there'd been a couple of years before this came out, so I would just fell on this album and mm -hmm. played it to death. And the track that always leaped out at me was Kind of Murder. Here in the bar, the boys like to have fun. There's a wager lost and an argument won. There's a stone washed damsel on a junk food run. It's a kind of murder. Again, there's a story in there. Yeah. You're just going, what is going on? It's like a busman's holiday for you, listening to a, a, a mini crime <laughs> novel set to it's And it is, it is a wonderful little, little mini crime novel. And I remember seeing him... The first time I went to see him uh, after this album came out, I remember he changed he changed one of the lyrics in this song. Uh, there's the line when he goes, um, "He was uh, he he, sw he swore he left her senseless." Yes. Uh, what's the lyric? Um, um, Jimmy took her down to the perimeter fence. Perimeter he was fence. Back in half an hour, he said he left her senseless. Left her senseless. He changed. Elvis changed that to he said he fucked her senseless. And I've always, I've always loved those moments when Elvis changes things uh, in live performance. I remember him performing "Green Shirt" once and changing uh, the lyrics to somewhere in the Quisling Clinic. The short time type thing takes over minutes. Uh, she's picking out names. I hope all of them are mine. Doesn't make me understand the song anymore, but yeah. for some reason that night he decided to change it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a great album and a big hit as well. Went to number two in the charts, Brutal Youth. Um, we get a partial attractions reunion. Bruce plays on some of the tracks. Nick Lowe plays on some of the other tracks as well. I think I think Elvis plays bass himself on Kind of Murder. I think it's just him and Pete Thomas oh, really? who, who do that song. Yeah, oh, It's um, just a great song. I mean, the whole, the whole of that album... Um, certainly the first uh, the first three or four just the way just that opening you know Pony Street 13 yeah. Steps Lead Down and it's just you just think oh my god I've missed you I've missed you mate <laughs> well I, I wonder if other people felt that as well given that the previous record would have been the Juliet Letters which obviously again maybe not to everyone's taste so people are saying I want some loud rock and roll Elvis as soon as the guitar kicks in for Kind of Murder you can imagine there are some people who are like yes this is this is what we want Oh, it very much was, but I adore the Juliet letters. Yeah, um, I, and and went to see that. Went to see him playing that live at uh, Theatre Royal Drury Lane, um, and it was lovely. I mean, it was lovely. And again, just my God, what a voice! Yeah, just what a voice, you know. And that that album also contains my um, 
funeral song. Oh, it's right. weird. I've got I've got three different choice of Elvis Costello songs to play at my funeral, depending on how I die. <laughs> um, if it's if it, if I die a perfectly happy death, it will be the birds will still be singing, okay. which is just such a beautiful song. If I freeze to death, it's going to be almost blue. <laughs> Um, and if I'm hit by a bus, it's accidents will happen. Right. So I've okay. got I've got I've got all eventualities covered, but it will be it will be Elvis one way or another. Great, great. <laughs> well, I hope someone's made a note of all of this as well, just to yeah. be, just to be on the safe side. No, I, I mean as in the, I love the Juliet letters. I love Jackson's Monk and Row and uh, Expert Right. It's just such a great series of songs. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're wonderful songs. But yeah, to come back after this with Brutal Youth was extraordinary. I remember they played a few tracks on a radio show you know, a couple of weeks before it came out, and I just thought, wow, mm. I just cannot wait mm. for this album. And played it to death. You know, those ones you just that are never off the turntable, you know. Well, there was a great comment uh, at the NME review at the time. It was uh, David Quantic who did it when he described it as a, an album that sounds like a debut with all of the fire and fury that entails, but he's also brought to it a wise man's brain and wit. Nice one. I think nice that's, one. that's on the nose, I think, isn't it? It is now. It's absolutely bang on. Listen, let's just spool forward a little bit because we've mentioned it a couple of times. Back to the Royal Court in 2015. I was in the audience for a, a brilliant night when Elvis was launching Unfaithful Music and Disappearing Inc. And, and you got the great gig of, um, of hosting a, a, an evening with him. We'll talk about the book itself in a minute, but as for the event, how did that come about? So I, you know, I knew the I knew the book was coming out and was very excited about it. And I was at a party one night and just got talking to a publisher. There were lots of publishing types about, and I was talking to this woman and uh, I said, "Oh, you know what you got coming out?" And she said, "Oh, well, we're publishing the Elvis Costello book." And I just got very excited. And she went, "Oh, are you big?" She, she knew me as a crime writer, but she went, "Oh, you're a big Elvis fan." I went, I, "I'm the biggest Elvis fan," <laughs> and she went, "Okay, I'll make a note of that." And a couple of days later, this email pops. In going, would you be interested in it? Interview, interviewing him on stage? And, you know, the quickest yes I've yeah. ever given. But it went from that, I'm interviewing Elvis Costello, to I'm interviewing Elvis Costello. Yeah, yeah. Just, just fear and trepidation because it's that, you know, never meet your heroes kind of thing. Now, I'd, I had met him a couple of times. By that time, I'd got to know uh, an amazing man called Paul Charles, who, as a sideline, writes crime novels, nor, uh, a writer from Northern Ireland, but his day job is running Asgard who are Elvis's agents. Not not anymore, I don't think, but certainly were at the time. So a couple of times I'd been to shows with Paul where I'd got to go backstage and, you know, shake his hand and say, great show, and chat to Pete Thomas or whatever it was, but I'd never properly met him. Anyway, so I get off this train at Lime Street Station and I was walking towards the Royal Court and I swear to you, Stu, my heart was just thumping. I'm thinking, if he's horrible to me. I mean, not why would he be? But, yeah. you know, these thoughts go through your head. I'm going to be crushed. I'm going to be absolutely crushed. And I walk in and I go to stage door and I'm taken up to his dressing room and we sit down and we just have a natural and he's talking to me about Bob Dylan and telling me stories and whatever. And I'm just, I'm thinking if you could tell my 16-year-old <laughs> self, you know, who went out and bought my aim is true. And then, yeah, did the, you know, we didn't really chat about what the format or anything was going to be. Okay. I just walked out and I introduced him and he came out and we talked and then he play, and I didn't even know he was going to play. I didn't even know he was going to play. And suddenly he picks up a guitar and he's playing. What was he playing? I think he, he played. He did Stranger Ghost in the Train. House, didn't he? Did he do Stranger in the House? And then shipbuilding. And I'm I'm three feet from him. Yeah. You know. And eventually I thought I'll just quietly <laughs> wander off stage. Oh, it was it was amazing. It was yeah. absolutely amazing. Such a thrill. Yeah. And 
people listening in may sense a bit of tension between us, Mark, and that's because uh, you didn't pick me to ask a question in the Q and A oh, at the end. I? But um, you know, it's five years ago. I'm I'm over it now. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was it was brilliant. Yeah, it well, was. A couple of nights later, I went to see the one in London, uh, which Nick Hornby did. And Nick Hornby did, God, I, what I so wish I'd done. It was so clever. He did a sort of version of the Spectacular Spinning Songbook, ah, where right. he just he did he just had a notebook. He had the spe- spe- Spectacular Spiral Notebook, <laughs> and he just had right. I've got one to twenty odd numbers of people, even numbers of songs. And so Elvis would just go number six, and he'd go Steve Naive. And right. Elvis would just tell a Steve Naive story. Yeah. Or, you know, number tw- number 13, King Horse. And Elvis would just talk about Tramp the Dirt Down. And it was just such a good way to do it. But I, uh, he talked to, to him much more about his just his life and his career and whatever, where I, I was trying to talk to him more specifically about the book, Yeah, I think. Um, which, which is a, it's a big book. Um, and I'd read it in two days. Hmm. And I think he was, he, he was quite taken aback that I'd read it so quickly. He said to me, it took me six days to do the audio book. <laughs> <laughs> did you read it so fast? That's because I didn't eat. I didn't eat. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the book as um, as a, a rock memoir, if you like? I, I think it's great because it doesn't do that thing um, of going, well, I was born on this and then I did that and then, you know, and then Flip City and then mm. Stiff and then this and then that. It jumps around, you know, in that way because Elvis has got a butterfly mind and, yeah. he's, and he's constantly looking for the next thing. So, so, you know, it's when he, you know, he remembers sitting in the balcony of the Hammersmith Palais, watching his dad rehearsing and and seeing all these amazing bands of Hollies or whatever it was. And that takes him on to somewhere else and then a memory of this and then yeah. he'll talk about his dad. He said many times, you know, if you want to know my life story, it's all on Wikipedia. You know, I just wanted... It's much more... And, and such interesting stuff about some of the songs and the way the songs were written. Um, I'd, forgotten, I'd forgotten almost the best thing about that night I interviewed him, which was that... After the show, I met up with a friend of mine, a Liverpool crime writer called Luca Vestay, and we went to the pub, and he was in the audience too, and we, we just sat and talked about it. And then the next, stayed in this hotel, and the next day I'm getting on the train back to London, and my phone rings, and it's my mum, who says, Elvis Costello's talking about you on the telly. And I was just going, what? How can this get any better? And he did, he did uh, an interview on BBC Breakfast, which if you watch, it's on YouTube, it's rather awkward. Well, it's a rather awkward interview. This is one of those classic, you get five minutes on national telly with Elvis Costello, and you say to yeah. him, ooh, your name isn't really Elvis, is it? How I did know. you get that name? It's like, I, oh, come I on. Know. Come on. You can see he's thinking, what am I doing yeah. here? Just ask me an interesting, bloody question, yeah. will you? Yeah. yeah. Especially when you're, I've got a new album to plug, yeah. you know. And Elvis is there to talk about his book, to talk about his, you know. And yeah, he's, he's very happy to talk about his family and whatever, and all the stuff that's in the book. But you don't want, you know, oh, Elvis Costello, that's a strange name. Absolutely. <laughs> The, I think the, the most pleasant surprise in the book for me was how willing he was to pull the curtain back on some of the songs because I think we've all seen plenty of Elvis interviews over the years where he's, as is his right, told the interviewer, it, it's none of your business who Alison is or where I came up with such and such a song. But all the way through yeah. the book, he's giving you these little kind of nuggets of where it came from. And the, the one that kind of sticks out for me is Suit of Lights off King of America, which I, I'd never kind of heard in the way that I listened to to it now which is about him seeing his dad towards the back end of his dad's singing career you know doing a working man's club where people are not listening to him they're not respecting the artist and I was like ah right and yeah. it slightly cha- doesn't make it worse but slightly changes how I hear the song now yeah and wasn't wasn't Alison a, a girl in a, on a supermarket a checkout girl checkout. yeah yeah 
Oh, it's so so yeah. fascinating. No, I love that stuff. I love that stuff. That's that's the stuff nerds like you and I key into. <laughs> just going, you know, because the the song works as a song. You know, they just work. But when you get these little nuggets, just little yeah. things that let you key into it, yeah. it's it's always a bonus, isn't yeah. it? And as you mentioned, the personal side of things as well. I mean, the passage where he he talks about. Um, saying goodbye to his dad. Oh, it's unbearably sad, that whole passage. Beautifully written, but it, you have to put yeah. the book down and go and have a walk for five minutes when you've read that. Yeah, it absolutely is. And and again, it's very hard to listen to The Puppet Has Cut His Strings. Yes. Uh, you know, without without going back to, to, that, to that amazing passage in the book. And yeah, I mean, obviously he and, he and his father were... were he's his father, of course. They were enormously close, but also had such similar... Similar career. I mean, not you know, not similar careers, but but their lives were were you know, like father like son to a degree. Where would you put it in amongst other rock autobiographies? Where would you kind of place that one with with others that you've I, read? I, I think I think it's right up there. I really do. I mean, I um I tend to read uh, as many of those as I can. I mean, I, I find it hard to read. Uh, a, a, a dense autobiography or even a biography of an artist I don't particularly like. Um, but I think it's up there with something like like Dylan's Chronicles, actually. Yeah. Um, quite similar in a lot of ways. You know, Dylan's not going, well, you know, it's not chronological. It's not, you know, he's just picking certain moments and the way they fire memories and it flies all over the place. But it's never less than, than riveting, you know. Yeah. Okay, let's talk songs again. Uh, your fourth song choice for the playlist. And I've got to tell you, there was a bit of competition for this song as well. A few people wanted to add this one uh, that you've chosen, but as you were first up, you get first dibs and you've gone for a track from The Delivery Man. Yeah, yeah, which is which is Country Darkness, which, um, again, I love this album. You know, uh, it's... The number of times people say, oh, it's a return to form. And you go, well, he never lost his form. Mm. You know, and apart from anything else, you know, form is form is transient, class is permanent. Yeah. Um, and no, it's an amazing album. And this, this track, just again, lyrically, and, and just the, uh, well, it, in every sense. And um, I don't think it's, a, it's an accident that the Country Darkness is the title for, that my darling Clementine have given to these, these three different volumes of... of uh, of songs they've recorded of Elvis songs under under the umbrella title Country Darkness. It's just a fantastic, it's a fantastic song. This tattered document A mystery you can solve Some burned out filament Flies buzzing around Released September 2004 on the Delivery Man album. First record credited to Elvis and the Imposters with Davy Farragher now full-time on bass and they recorded it in Mississippi. It does kind of have a Deep South vibe to it, that album as well, doesn't it? You know, from things like Bedlam has this real intensity of the sound and that seems to carry yeah, all the way swampy. through the record. Swampy, swampy that's exactly it. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. It's great. And this is this is the album that's got there's a story in your voice on it yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is great. I mean, it's there's a weird bit towards the end of that song where Lucinda Williams sounds astonishingly like Ethel Merman. I can't believe this. 
<laughs> she's really doing this fantastic. I mean, I love Lucinda Williams. I absolutely love her. Um, so to hear to hear uh, Elvis duetting with her, and I mean, I, some of the Elvis duets over the years mm-hmm. have not had enough enough credit. Um, I love the stuff. What's the one uh, satellite with with Chrissy Hind on, yeah, Spike. on Spike? Yeah. Um, you know the stuff with the stuff with Emmylou Harris, the stuff with Roseanne Cash, the stuff, uh, and it's terrific. I'd I'd love to see him do a full album of kind of George and Tammy type stuff. Yeah, yeah, that would that would be amazing. Yeah, that would be amazing. Like I never tire of, of hearing his voice, mm. which is why I get so annoyed when people do that thing I mentioned at the start when they go, "Oh, you yeah. like Elvis Costello?" Ugh, what are you talking about? They do that Ugh. one bit from Oliver's Army. That's right. Yeah, That's right. yeah, absolutely. Well, the delivery man, I remember um, being pleasantly surprised a few years ago when Tom Waits picked it on his list of the 20 albums that he most cherishes, which I thought, oh, that's oh, wow. a nice that's bit terrific. of spotlight on an album that perhaps doesn't get as much as it should do. Yeah, yeah. Have they have they ever worked out? Well, I, I don't know whether they recorded together, but again, one of the best things I've ever seen is the Roy Orbison Black and White yes. Night, where, where Elvis and Tom Waits are essentially in the backing band. Yes. Which is just Springsteen, really, yeah, yeah. Spring, what a what a gig that is! <laughs> I mean, can you imagine being there? Um, but there's that great moment where where Roy Orbison plays comedians, yes. sings comedians, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and you know, and I know, I know he's written songs for just uh, for amazing people, um, and 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 all this useless beauty, which is just songs that he did write for other people that weren't necessarily recorded. Um, but he's, you know, the the fact that he's so rightly respected as a songwriter mm-hmm. um which i think is what he would describe himself as more than anything else really probably you yeah know, song and dance man <laughs> <laughs> i'm just a song and dance man yeah <laughs> i'll edit that bob dylan impression out that was dreadful no <laughs> don't you gotta keep it in um and listen i know time's pressing on so let's just move on to your um fifth and final track now this is uh final category it was from 2010 onwards and you've gone to uh the album look now in 2018 for this one yeah again an album that seems a long time coming you know um i could have picked something off wise up ghost which i yeah. really love i really really love wise up ghost um but no i've gone for a, a track off look now and i've just gone for underline um yeah. which again i saw him uh, I've seen him do live several times, but I saw him up close and personal do this at a, at a thing called, um, is it called Songwriters? It's a show on Radio 4 that John Wilson does. Um, the weird thing was, I wasn't the biggest fan in the world of Jimmy Standing in the Rain, actually. There was always that bit in concerts up to that point where he'd do Jimmy Standing in the Rain and a slow drag with Josephine and those sort of little sort of, you know, jazzy numbers. Um but Underline, I just thought, was amazing. And again, it's a story. And yeah. not just a story, but volume two of a story. You know, well, let's let's catch up with this character, you know. Last time we saw him, he was out in the rain, watching that train roll down the train. Now he's back in showbiz, trying to make a comeback. We know that he's desperate, and we know that he's woke. He's the mystery. I got fascinated when when he said this is a follow-up to Jimmy Standing in the Rain because then you start thinking, that's such a great device. Wouldn't it be great to go back and find out what other characters from old songs are up to now? Yeah, where's Alison? Yeah, is she still on the supermarket? (laughs) (laughs) Because I suppose that's a device that you've used in your latest book as well, where you take a, a known character and then go and put them in another another time, another set of circumstances. Interesting to do it in song as well. 
Yeah, I can't, I can't think of too many examples when it's been, well, ashes to ashes, I guess. Um, but I can't think of too many. And I don't think Elvis has done it before. Um, no, I was, he- I was trying to think. The only, the nearest I could come up with was when he, um, uh, Sinkos Minutos on Wise Up Ghost, where he revisits the same circumstances oh, the as yeah. shipbuilding and then flips it round to look from the other side, but not precisely the same character. Yeah, no, the, I mean, what one of the things I loved about Wise Up Ghost was revisiting old songs, taking lyrics from, you know, mixing them up and doing all that stuff. But yeah, to take a character like he did with with Underline, which, and it's just a fantastic song. It's just a fantastic song. Yeah, so this is Jimmy, who we last saw on uh, on the platform of a Lancashire station, coming down with yeah. tuberculosis. Um, yeah. and, and here he is X number of years later, and he's... Um, He's having a career revival and is on a, a television programme backstage with a female production assistant, which felt very right for 2018 as well, given a lot of the stories yeah, that we'd it, been reading over the previous years. It was a bit huge tree, years. wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It was a little bit Operation U tree. Um, that, that thing you mentioned about tuberculosis, I remember Elvis telling a story somewhere about how when he'd been working with Dylan, he did he toured with Dylan, didn't he? That's right. Um, and he was talking about some, they, they were comparing songs they were writing at the time. And uh, Elvis was saying, oh, I love what you've done that. And Dylan said something like, hey, what are you talking about? You've just rhymed tuberculosis with whatever it is it rhymes with in Jimmy standing uh, in the room. Yeah, um, eyes going in and out of focus, mild focus. and bitter from tuberculosis. <laughs> tuberculosis, <laughs> which I think Dylan was very impressed yeah. by. <laughs> well, there's the great bit in the book as well, isn't there, when he's talking to Dylan backstage. And um, I think he, is he talking about writing the score for a piece of music and and um elvis says you need to get yourself an amanuensis to do it and bob dylan's jumping up and down saying oh man i can't believe you used that word (laughs) (laughs) i mean you know it must it must have been in the same you know it's not even comparable but the thrill i got being on stage with elvis I wonder, I wonder what Elvis felt, you know, the first time he's in a room with McCartney or when he's sharing a stage with Dylan, you yeah. know. He's, he's become such a sort of... Uh, he's a statesman-like figure himself now, is Elvis. You know, massively... I mean, I think rather more revered in America than he is here, which I, which I think is is a little bit sad. Um, and I think there was I think there was a period when he said, I'm done. I'm done with UK audiences. Yeah, yeah that was kind uh, of post-Glastonbury, mid-noughties yeah. time, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, you know, back. He's back, thankfully. He's yeah, back. absolutely. And I think perhaps the thing with working with those other people, he's, he seems to be a good foil for the kind of the bigger ego partner in the collaboration, doesn't he? He doesn't kind of, he's happy for the other person to take the attention. Well, I, d- I don't think there's any doubt that the, the songs the, the songs he wrote with McCartney, the, the songs that surfaced on Flowers in the Dirt, that was some of the best stuff McCartney had done in oh. a long time. No I love, I love that record. First album I ever owned, Flowers in the Dirt, when I was 10 oh, really? years old. Yeah. absolutely love it. Yeah, no, it's terrific. No, he, he, he works very brilliantly with other people, you know. Yeah. And that's, the, that's kind of the mark of a, of, a, of a songwriter, isn't it? That's the mark of a kind of proper songwriter. You know, Elvis would have been just happy as Larry in the Brill Building. I'm sure he would, sitting there. And, you know, now he's writing a song for Carole King. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Mark, it's been great chatting to you. Great to talk all these songs. I know um, I've caused you hassle over the last couple of weeks making you decide which five you were going to pick. But Oh, the 80s, just the 80s, that was the (laughs) night. Can't argue with the five you have gone with anyway. Yeah, yeah, but we could have talked about King of America for an hour. Absolutely. But, you know. <laughs> Maybe we will. We'll get back together again and, uh, yes, and we'll talk definitely. King of America. But uh, no, this has been great, Mark. Thank you very much for your time today and thanks for launching the podcast for us. Brilliant stuff. Thanks ever so much, Stu. 
yeah thanks so much to mark for coming on and talking elvis that was really good fun to chat and i uh, hope you enjoyed listening to it as well you can find mark on twitter at mark billingham his website is markbillingham.com Now you can hear the playlist that Mark and my other guests have compiled by looking for Dangerous Amusements on Spotify. A huge thank you to Gary Mulcahy who's recorded the theme music for the podcast for us. Thank you Gary and thanks to you for checking us out. We'll be bringing you a new episode every fortnight so subscribe to Dangerous Amusements wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget we're talking Elvis on social media as well. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You've been listening to Dangerous Amusements. Go on your merry way now, if you must. Music